Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, just for the opportunity again of being here, for bringing us together, for your presence, Lord, and your promises. Lord, we thank you that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And so, Lord, we want to lift up our hearts in, uh, in honesty and in humility, yet in thanksgiving as we lift them up to you in prayer. Lord, we, we want to praise you because you are God and beside you there is none other. You are the ancient of days. And Lord, thank you that whenever the, the shepherds or whenever the different individuals stared into the eyes of that little babe in Bethlehem, they were staring into the eyes of the creator God of heaven. Lord, thank you that you found a way to meet the, 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 the needs of, of uh, men and women. Thank you that you came to us, Lord. We couldn't have never gotten to you, but Lord, you came to us. So Father, we would pray one more time. Will you come to us this morning? Come to our hearts, Lord. Uh, deal with, do away with all those restract, uh, distractions, all the, the restraints, all the, uh, all the things that will prevent us from worshipping God in spirit and in truth. Loose us in the spirit, we pray. Grant us freedom as we come before you in praise and prayer and thanksgiving. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing the first. It's a kind of a carol. It's uh, halfway between carol and not a carol. And it's sung to the tune of the London Derriere. That, that help you any? I cannot tell why he whom the angels worship will stand and sing together, please.
I suspect some of you sang that for the very first time, but there's some powerful words. We're singing, whether we're singing an old carol or an in-between carol or something new, we're still singing about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That leads us into our next song. He is the Ancient of Days. this morning.
I don't know what distance you've come today to get here. Some of you have travelled a wee bit of a distance. There's others have travelled not so far, but regardless of the distance we've travelled, none of us have come the distance that he came. If you were here on Thursday night, you'd have seen something of the created cosmos and the worlds and the galaxies that God has created, and yet uh, he used the galaxies as, a, as, as to put colour into the universe, so it's, so as, we, as we saw. But none of us have ever travelled the distance that he came. From heaven you came, helpless babe is our next song.
Let's just be seated. Um, we have, just before we do the children's song, we have a little presentation we want to make to uh, a very special two people in this church, uh, Andrea and Eden. This is their last Sunday with us, and they're heading off to Canada to emigrate, as far as we, as far as, uh, we all know. Isn't that right? And they're hoping that things will work out for them. They've been a very, very special part of this church that I've met here over the years and been very much involved. You've seen uh, Eden, she'll be up dancing around here. She's enthusiastic and helps me along. She's nearly as enthusiastic as I am. And then we have Andrea, who's been very much involved in skate. And so Andrea and Eden, I'm going to ask you to come forward, please, because we're really going to miss you. So make, give them a wee, uh, round of applause as they come. And, and, and as pastor, and on behalf of the church, uh, we want to uh, wish you well. Thank you for your service here, uh, Andrea. Thank you for your commitment and dedication to skate and for how you've been such a blessing uh, to the folks there. And I know they've already made a little presentation to you and that they're going to miss you. But we're going to miss her here too, aren't we? That smiling face. And this wee smiling face here, we're a kind of sadness, but you know, our loss is Canada's gain. And we're going to be praying for you, and we hope you keep in touch with us. And so we want to give you that. Uh, there's, a, there's a little envelope in there for you. And then there's something here then for Eden as well. And just that so you will know the Lord's blessing as you move forward, all right? Thank you, Pastor uh, Trevor. Uh, you're very welcome. Right. Thank you, everyone. God bless you. We'll, uh, before you leave, we just want to pray with you. We just want to pray with you. That's all right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those whom you've redeemed throughout uh, the ages and Lord, thank you for those that you've brought out of darkness into light. And Andrea and Eden are two of those people that, Lord, you've used in this church. You've brought light and life into their souls, and they've brought light and life into the souls of others. Thank you for them, Lord. Now there's a big change. There's a big challenge. There's a big move for them, Father. And we pray, dear God, that you'll open up the way for them. You'll make the crooked places straight. You'll make the rough places smooth. Father, that you will uh, be their success as they go forward. As they find a home, as they find, uh, Lord, just uh, uh, the things will work out for them. And Lord, concerning the final details of leaving here, we pray, God, you take control of all and every detail, we pray. Bless them, Lord. May your blessing uh, follow them. May your blessing go before them. And may your blessing come behind them. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And now, Eden, you may, you may stay here. I'm going to ask the rest of the boys and girls to come, please. And you're going to help us. And Andrew, if you want to stay here as well, you can. Wide, wide is the ocean. High is the heavens above. Deep, deep is the deepest sea. <laughs> That's what I like. That's the way you folks should come to church. You know that. <laughs> wide, wide, wide is the ocean. High is the, This is a good workout for you now because you're going to be full of turkey and Christmas cake. I don't know, this week has been an absolute disaster for me. We had food here on Thursday night. We had a big feed on Friday night and another feed yesterday. I was taking a DCF in Harryville yesterday and they had a big Christmas dinner. I tell you what, I've never ate as much in my life and I haven't even hit Christmas yet. So I need a workout. So right, wide, wide is the ocean, high as the heavens above, deep, deep as the deepest sea is my Saviour's love. All right? I think I'll get you to stand and sing this. If you're looking forward to it, come down. Wide, wide is
Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. Boys and girls, you may go to Sunday school. And whoever's taking uh, charge of that, they'll, they'll come forward and give you a hand now. Thank you so much. I want to read a few verses. I was uh, preaching down in, in the crossroads in Portadown last night. And, and I read these verses and I thought they're very appropriate again for this morning because they also talk about, in a, in a, in a vague way, they speak about Christmas but they also speak about the purpose for which Christ came. Here's what it says in, in, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the great, the glory, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous of good works. The grace of God has appeared to all men. When they peered into that little babe in the manger, they were peering into the grace of God. This was God's answer for our illnesses. This was God's answer to a broken world. This was God's answer to a world that was sitting in darkness, depraved in the nature's darkness and night. This was God's answer to those who were under the condemnation and the curse of sin. This is God's answer. This is God's answer to us. Did he fail us? When we came to him, did he, did he fail us? Did he, did he refuse to accept us? No, he came. And we know that salvation has been good, so full and so free. Not one of us deserved it. Not one of us merited it. Not one of us could earn it. It was the grace of God. That's why John Newton penned those words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. When we take or come to this table in a few moments, we are reminded of that, of that amazing grace of God, that Christ would come from heaven's glory and he would take upon himself the sin of the world and bear our iniquities and our shame and our sin and pay the ransom and the remedy for all our sins. And I know that sometimes we can easily just let it float over the top of our heads. But can you imagine, would you do that for your enemies? Would you do that for one person, yet he did it for the whole world? And as we come to the table, let's remind ourselves of those, those uh, few thoughts. And to help us do that, we're going to sing uh, that our next song, Come Behold the, the, uh, the Wondrous Story.
remain standing just as we thank the Lord for his goodness, his love and his mercy. Thank the, God, thank the Lord for his peace and, his, and yet he's a just God. He's a just God. He couldn't just overlook sin. He couldn't just ignore it. He had to find a way. And the Bible say, or the hymn writer says, love found a way. Love found a way to redeem my soul. Love found a way to make me whole. Thank you for that love of God which gave his son that we might be redeemed from all iniquity and to purify unto himself a peculiar people. Let's just tell our hearts in prayer. There are those not with us today whose hearts are breaking for one reason or another. Tragedy hit their home and uh, they're sad today. We want to remember those folks, those who have lost loved ones recently. Those who are facing challenges in their life. There are many needs, but we thank God that he's able to meet every need. Let's just lift each one up. We'll do it in silence. Maybe there's someone connected with you. And you know, God hears the silent prayer. And uh, we could all lift our hearts now to those that are on your heart today. Just now, in these still moments. Father in heaven, you know those that are on our hearts today. You know those we're concerned for those, Lord, who have illness or sickness, those who have had tragedy hit their home, those who have had injury, Lord, those who have had discouraging news, Lord, those who are just losing their way a little in, in, in the journey of life. And, O oh God, for these, we lift up our hearts of, of prayer and our petitions to you, Lord, and we pray that you'll meet everyone at the very point of their need. Lord, for every family represented, for every home that's represented here, for every life that's bowed in your presence, God in heaven, we pray that you will just draw very graciously near by your Holy Spirit. Lord, come with your healing balm to those who have hurts today. Lord, come to those who, who need encouragement today. Lord, come to those who need correction today. Lord, we're, we very, very quickly very, very quickly go off uh, on a tangent, as it were. All we like sheep, and Lord, we, one sheep fo follows the other. All, one, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. And Lord, oftentimes we think we're following your way when we're not following your way. We're following our own way. Father, we pray that you will come to us today. Lord, and what, whatever you have to say, oh God, help us to receive it with faith and thanksgiving. God, we pray that your, your name will be glorified. Your kingdom will be extended. Lord, your heart will be blessed, Lord. We pray for freedom. We pray for anointing. We pray for the grace of God to captivate, uh, captivate us today. Lord, we ask, oh God, that you'll go before us. Lord, we ask, oh God, as we give our offering and tithe to you now, we pray that you'll take it and use it for your eternal glory. And as we come to your word, Father, we we pray that uh, heaven will accompany every word with, with, with inspiration, revelation, and anointing. Oh, God, that you'll make it easy for us to hear, and Lord, even easier again to respond to what the Lord will say. And right around our world, Lord, we see it in such, um, so, see so much devastation. We just see a broken world. We see a people, Lord, that have, and, and it just seems to us, that the world is getting much more and more and more darker as the days progress. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the light of the world. And we bless you, Lord, that he can come 
in reviving power to our community and to our lands and to our, into our hearts, our homes, our families. And Lord, those who once walked with you can walk again because they've heard the voice of God. And Father, we're looking forward to the coming of the King of Kings. Lord, as we listen to the Jews, they're waiting for their Messiah. Lord, we believe that the return of our Savior will be their Messiah. And O God, that every eye will see and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But until that happens, Lord, will you help us to stay strong? Will you help us to stay faithful? Will you help us to stay following? And Lord, will you help us to keep serving until Jesus comes again? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing our next song. We're mainly seated for the first part where your offering and tithes will be lifted. And it's light of the world you step down uh, into darkness.
Amen. You may be seated. Some great songs that really tie in with the Easter or with the Christmas theme, don't they? Every one of them really do. Well, of course, any hymn we really sing would tie in with any Christmas day. Last night was one of those nights. About half past four, Yolanda's, you had to get up and you had to prepare a whole new message for a Sunday morning. I said, Lord, you're not serious. I mean, I've worked all week and the one I have for the Sunday morning. No. I have to say, I'm happier with what I have now than I had what I had before I went to bed. It's just one of those days. And sometimes, you know, God gives you a message. Because I think, I think we've really, I think we've lost some of the real meaning of Christmas. I think we have. We haven't really tapped in. And I went to bed with that thought last night and I've been toying with it all through the week. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to be speaking about Christmas from now to the end of December, and you'll be glad Christmas is over. (laughs) Um, We're reading the first six verses. I don't think it'll be hard-hitting. I don't want it to be. I want it to be challenging. It's not to castigate people or condemn people. I think it's more to realign us, redirect us, to help us captivate again the real value of what Christmas means to us. So let's read together these first six verses. I don't know what's happened to my old throat this morning. Maybe I'm doing too much preaching, but anyway, we'll see how we get on here. Matthew chapter 2, the first six verses. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and came to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Amen. And we trust that the Lord will bless that reading of his word to our hearts. Most of the key events in the life of the Lord Jesus happened in a hundred mile radius. Most of the key events happened within a small radius of a hundred miles Of those events, one of the most important event of all was his birth. Happened just six miles from Jerusalem in a place called Bethlehem. 2,000 years ago, there was not much there in Bethlehem. Notice that it did also say that it highlighted the fact that it was Bethlehem of Ephrata. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Because there were two Bethlehems. There was another one much further away. But this one was within six miles 
of Jerusalem, known as the city of bread, the place of bread. At the time of writing and at the time of Jesus, there were about 200 people lived in Bethlehem. Only 200 people. It was a kind of like a small place that if you were going to do business in the city, that you would stop off in Bethlehem. It was cheaper to stay because the hotels weren't as expensive. And so you stopped there and then you went the next day to Bethlehem, to Jerusalem, to do your business. A number of questions come to mind and we will answer some of them and we don't have the answer of others of them. We can make mere suggestions. Who were the Magi? Well, the Greek word for Magi is wise men. And you've often seen the little sticker in the bumper of the car, wise men followed Jesus, sought Jesus, and they still do. So they, we, 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 can, we, can have a, uh, we can think about who the Magi were. They were wise men. Where did they come from? Well, we will try and answer that as well. How far did they journey? Well, we have a fair idea. How many Magi came to Jerusalem? Contrary to popular tradition, there were, we can't say there were three. Just because they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, doesn't say that there were only three Magi. There might have been a whole lot more. The Bible doesn't specify that there were three. Nor does the Bible say that they came on camels. And if you ever get a Christmas card, you'll see wise men coming over the hill on camels. Now, they might have come on camels. But we don't know that either. Isn't it interesting that we read into Scripture an awful lot of things are not there? And that's what we read into our walk with God sometimes. We fall into a tradition. It's like an old folks, uh, it's an old uh, uh, folk story where, where they said it and they started it and of course we continue it. What was the star? Now there's an interesting one. It can't have been a star. Couldn't have been. Was it a comet? Well, a comet, it'll just flash across the sky and it's gone as quick as it, as it comes. I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree because when the Bible says it was his star, it was the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God. He, the light of the world, was shining a light to show men and women where the light of the world would be born. Couldn't have been a star. How did it lead them? Why did they come to worship the king of the Jews? And something that I'd never noticed until this morning, why was the whole city disturbed? What was the cause of the disturbance? I mean, how can a little baby that's born in Bethlehem how can it disturb a whole city of Jerusalem with its fortified walls? What we can see is that something significant was taking place. And even though they couldn't understand it, they knew that something significant was happening. And we'll see why, I believe, in a wee minute. But there's one thing that puzzles me above all. Why these teachers of the law, these, these, these 
these men who had doctorates in theology and, 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 and the scriptures and who, who would have rehearsed and would have reminded themselves and have learned of the Messiah, why did they not go the six miles to, to Bethlehem? If it had been me, curiosity would have got the better of me. I'd have wanted to go and see, uh, after listening to these wise men who've come a great distance and they've told the story and how they've followed a star, the Shekinah glory of God, this light that happened to be the same light that led Moses and the children of Israel through the wilderness at night time. How, how come that after hearing all these extraordinary events, how that they didn't somehow say, well, at least we'll go. There's a reason they didn't go. Would you go six miles? Is God going to challenge us to move another six miles this morning? Is he going to tell us to waken up and tell us to stop playing at church? That having our heads full of knowledge, having our heads full of scriptures, and saying the ordinary yes and amen to Jesus Christ, but sometimes he gets in the way of our celebrations. We're not willing to pay the cost. Only six miles. Let me tell you how far six miles is for in local terms. From here to Portland Oon. It'd take you about two and a half hours to walk. Just two and a half hours walk. And they wouldn't go. Let me try and make some suggestions. This is more of a question and answer kind of sermon. Not the kind of sermon that I like to prepare. But I had to order, I had to obey higher orders this morning. Who they inquired about. Where is he, the king of the Jews? I'll suggest to you that these men had come at least 300 miles. It is more likely that they came from Babylon, and I'll explain it to you a little later on. I just don't want to steal my thunder. They came 300 miles, driven, motivated by this burning question. They wanted to see the king of the Jews, and they wanted to worship him. Let's, and, and the very fact that they traveled 300 miles put some credibility to their story. Well, let's scripture, let scripture teach us who they inquired about. In Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, it was said in their prophetic writings, Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. That babe in the manger is God the Son and the Son of God. He is every aspect and every element of God's DNA. DNA. He is God incarnate. God in the flesh. Very God of very God. 
Holiness, righteousness, wisdom, truth, mercy will be the hallmark of the one that came 2,000 years ago. The hallmark. And we know in hindsight and looking back and reading the scriptures how he dealt with people. He had the hallmark, didn't he? Mercy and grace. Another message that's burning in my heart that I will preach because I have it prepared because I did nothing but prepare all last week. We beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Your wife who lives with you, your children who lives with you knows your failures and your weaknesses. She know, they know your flaws and your wee grievances. And they have rubbed shoulders with him for three and a half years. And he was full of grace and truth. We'll develop that as the week and the weeks continue. You know, people are running after leaders and people to look up to. But have they got the hallmark of a child of God? Our teachers and those who advise us, have they got the hallmarks of God? Jeremiah chapter 13 verse 8 says, another aspect of this one that they came to inquire about. In chapter 13 verse 8, and it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck and I will burst your bonds and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. My dear friend, he's the yoke breaker, he's a bondage breaker, he's the darkness dispeller. He's this one that has come to bring light into the world. And surely we know again with hindsight that every one of us here that professes faith in Jesus Christ that he brought light into your darkness. And that's another one of his hallmarks. He does what it says on the label. And very quickly, let us further on, further on, because Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. To you, having to you righteousness and having salvation. And verse 10, And he shall break to pieces the nations. He shall rule. He shall rule, shall be from sea to sea, and his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He's the peacemaker, he's the saviour, and he's the king of kings. That's who they came to inquire about. So be, no mis be of no mis uh, misunderstanding. They came to see the one who would be the saviour of the world. Who did they inquire about? Notice very quickly, what were they intending to do? Worship a baby. You know what worship means in the Greek? A, there is a, several meanings, but you know what the, the, one of the Greek words means? It means to kneel down. They came 300 miles just to kneel down. Matthew 18 verse 26 says, as we get a wee bit of an idea of what it meant to kneel down, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him. 
In Acts chapter 10, verses 25 to verse 26, we get another aspect of this kneeling down. When Peter encountered Cornelius, met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted up and said, stand up, I am but a man. Notice Peter's reaction. What you're doing belongs only to God. Our worship belongs not to Elam. Our worship belongs not to a pastor. Our worship belongs not to any other person but God. But God. He alone is worthy. He alone deserves our worship and praise. And we're starstruck with all these personalities. And we give them more homage than we give our great God who came from heaven's glory to die on this sin-cursed earth. That's a pretty serious activity, isn't it? Worship meant for these people, it meant to lift up in honor, to exalt and to extol. It's a statement of worship. Someone who has now come And Herod, you pale into insignificance because there's someone more worthy than you are. And yes, there's someone more worthy than King David. And there's someone more worthy than Abraham. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. We used to sing a song in our Early day, worthy of glory and worthy of honor and worthy of praise is he. Worthy of glory, worthy of honor and worthy of praise is he. Well, now get this. He's only a baby. He's born, as it would appear to the world, illegitimate. His mother is a virgin. These men couldn't have known it. His father is a disgraced fiancé of Mary and they've come to worship we couldn't hardly be bothered these days we pick and choose we slot into our diaries I can make that but I can't make that I'll do this but I can't do that he alone's worthy of our worship Matthew 8 and 2 says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am clean. And immediately his leper was cleansed. That word knelt means he worshipped. He worshipped. The wise men have come all this way to acknowledge the worship of Jesus. Now let's see who these wise men were. Bible doesn't say there were three. It doesn't say they came in camels. What it does say is they came from the east. And just 300 miles east is Babylon. And do you remember the prophet who was there? Daniel, and you've heard the prophets and the prophecies of Daniel 
and the teachings of Daniel. And Daniel was a popular man in the sense that he was one of God's men. And king after king had to bow down to Daniel's authority because Daniel's God would become their God. But before we look at Daniel, somehow the teachings that they had received Give them the full-orbed understanding of who it was that they were coming to worship because they brought gold, a symbol of kingship on earth. They brought frankincense, a symbol of deity. He's God. And they brought myrrh, a symbol of death. And this one that was coming was going to be king of the, of the world. He was going to be king of kings. But he was also God. And God was going to die. But he was going to rise again from the dead. They saw everything that Jesus was going to do. As they had pondered the teachings, as many commentators say of Daniel. Was it by chance that they had somehow stumbled across the truth? I tell you, I believe that they were discipled by the teachings of Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. I'm putting you under the cosh today, Richard, but you're able for it. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to, as we sang earlier, the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. What were they intending to do? To do this. Worship the God of heaven. I wonder, have we truly got a heart of worship this Christmas? Truly. Are we determined that our hearts will be favorably disposed towards him? And will we see him for all his worship this Christmas? Here's the next thing. What did the teachers know? It would appear to me that they had more teachings about who Christ was than even the Magi should have known. It was written in their history. If you go to the Wailing Wall in, in Jerusalem and you'll see these men who are wailing and they're almost banging their heads against the wall because they want to see the temple, temple restored. They want to see Judaism restored again. They want to see that temple restored in the place of prayer because they know in their history that this is what God has determined, determined that will be for them. Those that heard consulted, uh, heard, uh, those that heard consulted were the best and brightest minds of the day, professional students of the Torah of God. They studied the Old Testament day and night, and when the scribe was writing down the scriptures, and as he was writing down the Hebrew, he, if he made the slightest bit of a mistake, he had to tear up his parchment and throw it away and start all over again because the slightest deviation in the Hebrew language, and it could have a different meaning, and they don't have the wrong meaning. 
And those are the scribes that wrote Isaiah. Those are the scribes that wrote Jeremiah. Those are the scribes that wrote Micah and all the prophecies of God. So they knew, my dear friend, they knew. They knew. The five books of the law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They knew. No excuse. When they heard asked whether Christ was born, they didn't have to phone a friend or take a 50-50. They knew exactly where. Bethlehem, Ephrata, as it were, it says in our word. These men weren't anemic to the word of God. These men knew what Moses had said about the branch of Jesse. If they knew the answer, why didn't they go to Bethlehem? Can I challenge us today? We know much more. We know the commentary. We know the outcome of Calvary. We've got the teachings of Romans. We've got the teachings of, of Ephesians. What are we doing about all the riches of glory by Christ Jesus? What are we doing with all the blessings that has been purchased for us in Calvary? What are we doing? The chief priests and teachers of the law, someone said, had heads and hearts like stone. They did it all in their heads. Listen, here's what they knew. That he would be born of the seed of a woman, Genesis 3.15. That he would be descendant of Shem, Genesis 9.26. That he would be the seed of Abraham, Genesis 12.1-3. That he would be descendant of Isaac, Genesis 22.18. That he would be descendant of Jacob, Genesis 28.14. That he would be a descendant, uh, that he would be of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10. That he would be one of the sons of, uh, he would be one, a son of David, 2 Samuel 7. That he would be born a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14, he'd be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. Just think of the prophecy there every minute. Born in Bethlehem in Ephrata, in a population of 200, well, the possibility of him being a boy would be 50-50. The possibility of him being born in Bethlehem of Ephrata would be 400 to 1. The possibility of him being of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, born of a virgin, you're going into numbers that you can't imagine. And they knew it. Which brings me to the next point. Why did they not go? Well, I'm going to give you the outline of what I, outline of what I had prepared, which I scrapped. Because one commentator suggests that this is, these are the three reasons. Their knowledge made them intellectually lazy. The second point that the commentator made was their religion made them spiritually indifferent. And the third point that he made was their background made them culturally arrogant. They were, in, they were satisfied with what they knew and they didn't need anything more. They were happy enough with their form of religion and they didn't need any more pressure on it. 
and they were committed enough as it was. And they were full of their own importance because we are the children of Abraham. We are Protestant. We are Catholic. What more do we need? We go to Elam Pentecostal Church in Cullabacca. What more do we need? I can point back to a day 50 years ago when I was saved. What more do I need? I've got a King James Bible. I've got an ESV Bible. I've got all the hymns all in my head. What more do I need? I'll tell you what you need. You need Christ. You need an up-to-date, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus every day. He wants our worship not only at Christmas, not only on a Sunday, not only on a Thursday. He wants our worship every day. Every waking moment. He doesn't want to be part of our lives. He wants to be our lives. Oh, I hope you get the burden. Not my burden. I hope you get God's burden. That's a summary, a summary of the commentator's assessment as to why they didn't go. But I feel there's more to it than that. One reason I suggest, as I've already hinted at, they had prominent position. They could go where they liked and do what they liked. They had the king's ear and the king had their heart. And so why put pressure on the problems? I mean, they need to keep the king happy. And if you know anything about Herod the Tetrarch, he was a bit of a tyrant, as you'll see in a moment. They went along with him for the most part, and he put up with them for the most part. Why else would the whole nation be, or the whole city be trembling for fear? Because they were afraid that Herod the Tetrarch would be upset. Because you're going to find out just how nasty he was. Herod was a bit of a problem. You know, to hold on to his kingdom when he felt threatened, Herod killed three sons and two wives. He was worse than Henry VIII. All because they threatened his reign. And so he had them assassinated to hold on to his influence. And not only that, but he also knew that he was so unloved and unpopular that he wanted Jerusalem to be weeping when he died. So what did he do? He ordered his soldiers to kill kill key businessmen men in the city on, the, on hearing the news that he had died because he wanted Jerusalem weeping when he died. Now, can you imagine if these teachers of the law were going to go back to the king and say, we're going, we've heard there's a butter boy that you alive. Fear. The tyrant that was dominating the whole region. They did everything they could to keep him happy. 
even at the cost. And by the way, we know that Herod had ordered the, bear, the death of all the babies up until two years of old. He wanted to kill the Messiah just to keep his position. We get to the last two points. We're not, enough, not far away now. What has any of that got to do with us? Have we fallen far short into something that falls short, should I say, of where God would have us today? Have we allowed the spirit of the world to take over in our preparations for Christmas? Or are we motivated by the, speech, the, the specialness, the sacredness, and the splendidness of Christ? Or do we use his birth as another means of a frenzy of overindulgence? And that becomes a distraction for the worship for which he so long desires. All the while we know they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Is Christ getting in the way of our celebrations? Folk, the spirit of the world has taken hold of today's church. And the sad thing is that not many of us see it. The spirit of the world doesn't mind you making much of Christmas as long as you don't make much of Christ. I watch the chase as a means. I used to watch The Weakest Link and I felt I couldn't watch it any longer because it was too, too rough, but there's a nicer fellow on it now. But I got, I got changed over to The Chase and I like Bradley Walsh. He's good crack, isn't he? And I'm always amazed when it comes to questions in the Bible, like the simplest, simplest questions in the Bible, nobody's a clue. And here's what I find myself saying, did I not know that? And then I remind myself, that's the world. That's the world. Why should I judge them? They don't know. You know what I read last night in the Word of God? It's actually this morning. The people don't know because my servants aren't telling them. They don't know. Then I, about six o'clock this morning, well, I said, the question came to me, well, what does my world look like? So I'm going to be hard on myself now. Too many deadlines to meet. Working too hard, too often. In fact, working when I should be worshipping. Going to the word of God to feed others when I should be going to it to feed myself. What does your world look like? Is it okay as long as it's not too demanding on you? 
as long as it doesn't interfere with our opinion and our ideas of what Christmas should look like. Let's not try to mask our carnal heart with Christian jargon. Do the things of Christ excite me, thrill me, motivate me? Or am I looking forward to celebrating his birthday this month? Or am I looking forward to Christmas cake? Does what I know about his humility temper my pride? Does Christmas mean anything other than presents and Easter bunnies at Easter? We'll get all dressed up and we'll go and see the King of England. We'll spend countless hours watching silly football. We'll go to loyalist parades. Or we'll just do whatever tickles our fancy. We'll shop till we drop. And we'll think we've done God a service by coming one hour on a Sunday morning. Come thy long expected Jesus, only six miles. Born that man no more may die, only six miles. O come all ye faithful, only six miles. O come let us adore him, only six miles. Six miles and none of the scribes cared enough to go and check out the rumor that the Lord of glory was born. Six miles from Jesus. Six miles from salvation. Six miles from forgiveness. Six miles from the eternal one. Six miles from intimacy. Six miles from fellowship. Six miles from the great king of kings and lord of lords. Six miles from the creator of the world. Six miles from the lover of my soul. Six miles from the lily of the valley. Six miles from the fairest of 10,000. Six miles. Couldn't be bothered. Six miles. What should we do? Is the next question. We must get Jesus back into Christmas. And forget about the world for a minute. Get him back into the church the body of Christ. We talk about tyrants and those that oppress us. Let us get rid of the tyranny that, that, that is that, that, the tyranny of me, which is the greatest offender. We must ditch the tyrant of Herod that is present in our own hearts. The tyrant of leisure, pleasure, tradition. By the way, you're going to call me a legalist after this. I am as far away from a legalist as you can get. But I love the Lord. I don't care how you look or what you dress in. I don't care about any of that. I don't care what version of the Bible you read. I don't care if you cover your head, you don't cover your head. That's up to you. You'll find no condemnation here. When it comes to our walk with God, I wouldn't have a pastor's heart if I didn't want to see you walking closer. I wouldn't have a pastor's heart if I didn't want to see you going deeper. I wouldn't have a love for the Lord if I didn't want you to love him more. That's the busyness 
dethrone the God of self-importance. Get rid of the tyranny of tyranny of my way, my thing, my plans. Folk, I think we're not nearly as spiritual as we like to think we are. But God wants to fix it today. He wants you to come six miles. Will we come those six miles? This has been nothing like what I had prepared, and I am so glad. I'm so glad. Thank God. He wants you to come six miles. Will you come six miles? What's on the throne? What's ruling your life? Six miles. Two and a half hours on your knees. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word which comes to us in freshness, comes to us in sincerity and or comes to us at a time, Lord, whenever we're about to embark on the busiest time of the year. And we pray, Lord, that you have redirected us, regrouped us, refreshed us, revived us, Lord, even corrected us. Lord, we're happy when God corrects us. Lord, we don't want to be like illegitimate children when God doesn't come near us. We're thankful today, God, you speak, and you speak powerfully. God, we come those six miles here in Colbeck, Elam. We come those six miles. We come now. We come in our hearts. We come by faith. We come gladly. We come happily. Come in six miles, Lord. Just six miles. Father, bless your word to our hearts. May you see every heart. May every heart be in tune with God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing our last song, The Lord is my salvation.
Now may God's grace, mercy and peace accompany us and go with us into this afternoon. And may we ponder what you've been saying to us, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.